Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Our guest today is Phil Champagne. Phil's a longtime investor who has extensive experience in real estate investing and has now shifted his focus to cryptocurrencies. He authored The Book of Satoshi, a nonfiction book about the public life of Satoshi Nakamoto, the anonymous inventor of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies generally. He also wrote the book Hammock Income, How to Make Your Money Work Best for You with Private Real Estate Investment. Today, we're going to talk a bit about his experience in real estate and crypto investing and the future of money and how we as investors who see the winds changing can benefit from that. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Taylor. So can you fill out the listeners a bit about your background in real estate investing and crypto and talk to us a little bit more about the book of Satoshi? You know, we talked a little bit before the interview about that and uh, mm -hmm. definitely sounded very interesting. Yes. Yeah, so the, um, my interest uh, started with real estate and uh, really the, I, I really understand the true wealth aspect is through cash flow, passive income, and then building um, acquiring assets that are generating cash flow. And so that's really the foundation of what I believe, and I still believe that. The focus has been um, expanded, I would say, once I started uh, reading a little bit more about gold and silver and the different cycles that uh, we're in. And one of the books that really uh, opened my mind to uh, to this was um, The Creature from Jekyll Island from G. Edward Griffin, which many in the libertarian view as this as the Bible in some way. And it really uh, shows uh, all the exciting things that the central bankers have done for millennium, for centuries. And um, so the from there, I started investing as well in gold and silver, and mostly actually silver, because I see that the uh, upside is even more tremendous for silver. There's always a cycle, and again, this time right now is uh, really an amazing time for for those uh, for the precious metals. Um, when you compare anything in the value of something, you shouldn't use the U.S. dollars. Uh, it's best to compare gold and silver against other assets like real estate, stocks, Dow, the Dow, for example, that kind of thing. Because the U.S. dollar is basically a ruler that is uh, flexible. It's just imagine a ruler that, okay, you're six feet tall this year. Next year, you're six feet and one inch. But he actually has not. Uh, you have not grown up. It's just your ruler is being the... Uh, deformed or um, shrinking. So that's completely silly. Nobody would be using such ruler. But um, the thing is the fact that the US, US dollars were paid with that. We're using is price are, no, are coded in this. Uh, we get full into measuring everything in US dollars and uh, measuring assets and so on. I, I think it's very dangerous. We'll always need to remember this, this rule. So anyway, that, that's how I, I got into the, uh, the coal and silver. And at some point, obviously, once uh, I have heard about uh, Bitcoin in around uh, 2012, uh, it was around $10 at that time. And I was really intrigued. And the story behind it was intriguing because it got uh, created. Uh, well, actually, we're going to have the 10-year anniversary of the white paper coming in at, uh, this October 31st. 
And uh, the first, it started uh, with the blockchain, started in the next January 2019 will be the 10-year anniversary of the uh, official Bitcoin. And so I look at it, uh, the first two years was when there was a public life, if I may say so, of the creator, such as Shinakamoto, nobody, he was anonymous, nobody knew about him. And it was a really interesting story just on that itself, in a combination with this, the technicality of this completely new class, asset class. It's not like gold, and it's not, but it's uh, some form of digital gold that some people call it. And um, so I got really curious about it and uh, decided to uh, actually at some point write a book because I saw that uh, there was a really a good value into reading all this, what that guy had to say. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think I, uh, that's uh, pretty much for, for, for this aspect. Wow. So, you know, I invest in cash flowing real estate myself, and then I have a, a small position in metals, but I'll be honest, I, I knew about Bitcoin in about 2011. I set up a small oh. mining rig. I didn't buy any, unfortunately. Okay. I, I, I completely missed the wave. I set up a miner and I, I thought this is far too complicated for anyone to actually use. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe it's going to go anywhere. Little did I know if I had put even a hundred dollars in it, I wouldn't, yeah. uh, yeah. I'd be, I'd have my, uh, my, uh, hammock on a beach right now, <laughs> but I didn't do it. I missed it honestly, because you know, my, it, it missed for me, the rule of cash flow is, is I'm, I'm focused on cash flow mm-hmm. and gold misses yeah. it too. But I'm just wondering what, what you know, folks like yourself who are interested in cash flow see in cryptocurrencies, especially since they're completely, they don't cash flow at all. There's no cash yeah. flow in there. Yes, correct, correct. And um, it, is, it is in some way painful to invest in gold and silver and, and other asset class that are not uh, bringing cash flow. Um, because now uh, the only way to is, is just to sell, you know, but the uh, the window are sometimes very compressed. Uh, if you look at it uh, from 1933, for example, it was an overnight weekend event that uh, gold jumped up in value by 40 percent. And uh, FDR, you know, uh, I mean, it was a executive uh, order and, you know, it's infamous. I forgot which one, but. These events could happen again where we go on a Friday and on Monday morning and suddenly we, we see, uh, well, there's uh, uh, the, the fact that we, the U.S. dollar is based on, is actually a debt. So the, there's always more debt than the total amount of debt in the world in U.S. dollars is always higher than the total amount of U.S. dollars available to pay it. And the more, the higher the interest rates are going, the faster the difference between the two, the divergence between the two are going. The only way to somewhat correct this is through a bunch of bankruptcies where the debt is vanished or by a sudden real painful devaluation of the dollar or a radical devaluation, which is what happened in the 70s in some way. You know? And um, in those, those aspects is where... Um, in these conditions, you'll see real estate holding their value. Uh, there'll be more deals sometimes because then in, there's a lot of pressure sometimes to make them still cash flow because people are having a hard time paying their rents. But the 
the potential uh, for in terms of uh, when you actually tramp uh, you're in gold and silver during those time those windows is tremendous and for the 70s it was a uh, four-year window and uh, you really um, you really appreciate um, drastically your cap you know a factor of 10 or 20 or whatever I mean obviously with Bitcoin we're talking about factors of a thousand or so so you're talking about a factor of 100 or 50 or for goal and uh, people say yeah okay it's amazing but um, if you put a it's a very solid, not very speculative asset goal in some way, you know. And whenever you see it, it's uh, being flattening, it's holding its bottom, which is the case. It was the case in 2002, 2001. And so I've also done some technical analysis, so I'm familiar with those things. And it's the same thing again for um, uh, for right now. And I see that uh, we're in an inflection point where. I believe that uh, these are about to uh, to resume its trend up, and um, it will be at some point very very accelerated once, uh, because again they're raising interest rates, so we'll have those pressures. And again, the face the face off of this different divergence between debt and currency will have to be addressed again. And so that's that's the aspect of why I uh, keep my because I understand that if I was to sell all my cryptocurrencies uh, that I have and move to uh, to uh, real estate, yeah, I would have tremendous amount of uh, real estate right now, uh, much more. But the, the factor I could have ten times or twenty times more if I just be patient for you know five years or less than five years. So that's one of the reasons. So obviously with Bitcoin and uh, gold and silver, these are the aspects. It's truly a uh, tiny window. And uh, I recommend uh, watching um, Hidden Secrets of Money from Mike Maloney on YouTube. They have uh, amazing videos on uh, general cycles. And it's eight episode, and he's going to bring up a ninth uh, pretty soon. And um, Interesting. We'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, by the way, just for the listeners. Okay, good. And uh, the other currency, though, that I'm interested in is Tezos. And Tezos is actually a little bit different than Bitcoin because it's actually a, a proof-of-stake coin rather than proof-of-work. Bitcoin has a familiarity with uh, gold mining in terms that you need heavy equipment, high amount of electricity, uh, big computing power to be able to be a compute, competing with all the other Bitcoin miners to uh, win the next block, which is a proof of work that is actual required work to uh, perform a, a uh, race to a calculation, a puzzle. While Tezos is uh, you win rights to um, big blocks or mine blocks containing uh, new Tezos by having existing Tezos. So your investment is in Tezos. It's a little bit more like uh, having uh, a gold standard with a certificate of deposit and gold standard, if you, uh, if I can say that this way. So then uh, you go to the bank, deposit your gold, and they lease it, and then you get um, income from the dividends, uh, from the interest. So it's somewhat in some way uh, similar to that. So that's uh, one, one of the reasons I'm interested about Tezos. There's multiple other reasons as well. 
And uh, this is actually the subject of my next book. I'm writing uh, a book on about Tezos right now. Interesting. So when's that book going to be out? Um, I'm hoping within three or four months. Um, uh, yeah, I'm at uh, chapter three right now. And actually, it's, what's funny is that it's available for anyone to read it right now because I'm using Google Drive and uh, there's a read access point for everyone to to access. I can share that with you. So, but it's no, it's not necessarily easy to read because uh, every there's every chapter is at one specific files and um then you have to navigate through that and uh but um and it's obviously still being it's a very crude draft right now interesting and that's t-e-z-o-s if folks want to z-o-s correct yeah if folks want to look that up and you know it, it's interesting to me that uh in the way you look at the future of money in many ways you're kind of looking at the past of money right so the mm-hmm. cycles over the last hundred years or so mm-hmm. and even though we're in fairly unprecedented times in many ways i mean 10 years of essentially zero percent interest rates Correct. and free cheap money and that's that's ticking up and they're the fed's raising the rates but you know what's happened in the past when rates have been extremely low for a long time eventually they at some point are extremely high for some amount of time to slow that inflation down. So is that what you're expecting? Some period of extremely high inflation, maybe not hyperinflation, maybe not stagflation. I don't know, but, um, um it's actually might be, high inflation. It could be, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough for the dollar this time. The, the, the last time you had something of somewhat similar to what we might be heading was the seventies. And uh, at that time, they had to raise interest rate to the 20, 20%. Today, the amount of debt, first of all, uh, the demogra- demographics are not in favor because of the uh, the baby boomers were in their 30s and 40s back in the 80s, prime, prime active uh, contributors to the economy. And right now, they're more like heading towards saving times. And um, so it's a very different dem- demographics. So on, on terms of that, it's difficult. And the other thing is the amount of debt is much higher today uh, than it was when you account for on on um, uh, unallocated everything, you know, when you account to Social Security and everything. It's really uh, extremely high. So 20% will not be possible for uh, for for the government to finance itself they will have to print so much the federal reserve is going to have to to buy all the treasury bonds entirely so it's going to be uh, probably what we're going to see at some point with might be a very high deflationary possibly event before we get to that high inflation slash hyperinflation to a point where we might see gold at fifty thousand dollars. I I really don't know because the the point is it's uh, they're gonna have to make some drastic adjustment, and so that's the reason why that uh, I feel safe in that environment to be having a component that is heavy in gold and silver, as well as Bitcoin, because I I believe that people will now consider Bitcoin as another alternative, and even there's a possibility that central banks might decide to use Bitcoin as part of their reserve. You, you just have to uh, understand that um, whenever a country says, well, we have two tons of golds in our reserve, 
we have to take their word for it. Or they have this company that is uh, part of their that's you know that you know you don't know how much they've been uh, they are truthful that have audited their reserve. Uh, actually, in the case of the U.S., the last time there was any kind of auditing was uh, Fort Knox and so on was in the 50s. You know, they're, they're not even <laughs> bringing up the subject anymore. So with Bitcoin, you the, the company, the country will just publish their Bitcoin address and everybody will be able to see it. Yeah. And they'll be able to actually use a private key and to sign the um, any kind of thing uh, uh, that is an event of today. Uh, and um to prove that they own those keys and uh, everybody will be able to to see uh, from the blockchain because of its openness and immutability that they indeed have, let's say, a thousand Bitcoin or something like that or 10,000. So that that is a possibility of that as well. So that's why I consider this as a very likely uh, for Bitcoin to reach the market cap of gold, it will be around $500,000 for Bitcoin, just so if it get to the point of same kind of status as bit, as gold. So you can see that there's still a um, possible lot of other rooms ahead of time. And, um, and it's a deflationary coin. Uh, every time people loses their keys, uh, it's Bitcoins that will never be uh, available anymore. So that, that's uh, that's a reason why I see this as uh, interesting on those things to to keep in perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I know I lost at least a couple fractions of bitcoins a few years ago because uh -huh. I, you know, as I previously mentioned, my uh, foray into mining. Uh -huh. I think my, you know, I, I agree with this. In in the long run, is um, you know, the, the dollar has a, a lot of problems that you know you stated. And I, I totally agree with. Um, and in the long run, I, I just think the my issue with the cryptos and, and adoption is everything and everything is, you know, what is that one? What is the time frame going to be if that does happen? Because it shoot, it could be 50 years from now or 15 years from now. I, I just don't know. I don't have any way to predict that. And then number two is that the supply of coins is essentially infinite you know anybody can start a coin it's and then finding you know the one or the handful that have the basket or, ha or have the right properties to fit in the you know the whatever the market basket is going to end up being you know it's going to be a tough process there are going to be a lot of people that are going to lose a lot of money on you know small coins until that's figured out if that makes sense yeah uh the the, there's a big debate between gold bugs and uh, Bitcoin uh, folks, or I'm really in favor of both, but I find it funny. Uh, and one of the argument that um, typical gold investors will say is that, well, they, there's a thousand, more than a thousand cryptocurrencies. So basically there's million, you know, there's, there's unlimited supply. But that is the same thing as saying that there's unlimited supply of shares on you know, the shares of Apple are specific, you know, and in the case of uh, Bitcoin, it's all related. Every cryptocurrencies are related to tied up with their uh, the network effect. So you don't want to be on the Internet that is uh, 
specific where only you and your brother and uh, your mother are on. There's only three people. What's the point? You want to have uh, access to a network where there's as many people as possible. So that's the network effect. And Bitcoin has the biggest network effect. And everybody knows that, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of uh, infrastructure also develop around that. So support this network. While you start a new cryptocurrencies, the very first thing you will have to face is to have that network effect, the adoption and the infrastructure built up around it. And these are extremely difficult to, uh, to overcome. There's really need to be something very specific about it to be able to come up to the point of Bitcoin, you know, or any of the top 10 or some, something like that. So even though there's a lot of cryptocurrencies, uh, if you look at their value or their market cap, you know, it's, uh, it goes down linearly extremely fast, you know, very high for Bitcoin, half for this next one, a quarter for the third one, and then it drops down to fractions um, once you get into the number 20, 25, and so on. Hmm. So it's a matter of eventually the market will decide, and in many ways the market already has decided, but over time, the, the market will come to some kind of equilibrium and find about Correct. But it's, uh, it's also uh, the amount of the, because these are living coins. There's, you know, it's like a living gold, uh, an element that is constantly changing its uh, features. And the fact that there's so many de developers that are actively working on Bitcoin uh, makes it that the infrastructure and uh, there's one of the things, for example, that people complain about Bitcoin is that there's only uh, um, uh, a few transactions per second, you know, seven transactions per second or something like that. But the, there's a development of a, what's called a light, lightning network, where what's going to happen is you'll have... Uh, Transactions just like credit card and so on. There's unlimited. It's off the blockchain, and it can be uh, really extremely fast. And there's a bunch of other features that can be wrapped up around it. And these are actively being worked for the last two or three years, uh, developed around for Bitcoin specifically. And so there's uh, and other developments constantly that are being worked at that uh, are escape the ordinary citizens, but the, the people beyond the scenes, the active developers that know those things, it's very uh, at the edge of um, cryptocurrencies. And it's um, pushing things so much into uh, a new era. What is uh, amazing is the, when you look at, for example, the airplanes, how the development of how airplanes have been upgrading and changing since, uh, since, since Wright Brothers. And when you look at what happened for cryptography, it started, you know, in the time of um, Julius uh, Caesar. There was a, something called a Caesar cipher and all that. They were very crude and just uh, letter swapping and that kind of thing. And you move up a little bit more in the 18th century and things like that, a little bit more mathematical, complex, but it's still one-to-one -one mapping and on so on. In the 70s, people started coming up with the asymmetric type of encryption where one key is used to encrypt, but another key is used to decrypt. So now you can sign uh, on the digitally sign things. So that has opened up the door. And right now there's these kind of things are coming up, but more and more things that are uh, behind 
extremely complex. And uh, I mean, really just to understand exactly how they do those things is uh, quite complex mathematical concepts, but they're developing those things to at a much faster rate because cryptocurrencies have opened the doors for the interest on many brilliant minds to to look into those things, these fields, and to expand the possibilities on there. So that's why you cannot or overlook those things. Thinking that as it is, Bitcoin will stay as it is, is wrong because of those developments. Phil, thank you for that. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Okay, so Phil, what is the best investment you ever made? Um, it's probably not going to be coming up as a surprise if I say Bitcoin. Um, you know, since I invested um, at ten dollars, uh, all, all everywhere between ten and one hundred dollars, mostly uh, with an average price around mostly uh, twenty twenty five dollars overall. If I waited at all, and um, yeah, that was definitely. Uh, one of my uh, best investment. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure the listeners can do the math on that. And yeah, what is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, the worst investment was a uh, company. Uh, it was uh, called Zen Motors, and they were about to invest in. Um, they were tied up with another company uh, having working on a, a revolutionary battery using uh, ultra capacitors rather than. Uh, then chemical components, it'll be uh, some kind of mechanical, uh, not mechanical, but still a form, some form of chem, um, chemical, but using uh, capacitors and ultra capacitors, meaning that they can, it's a bucket of electrons. So you can see it this way in terms of an electrical engineering perspective. So it could be recharged in a very rapid. The, uh, the wire is uh, basically how much your, can your wire take it? Uh, will be the maximum uh, rapid. You could charge it in 30 seconds, bingo, yeah, then you can move on. The uh, the problem was that uh, it never went to, there were so many uh, uh, issues and so on, and uh, eventually, uh, I'm not sure where it is, but yeah, I took my loss, and um, it's just on a, uh, a sad, sad investment, but um, it was a, I understood it was a very, um, very uh, speculative investment. So that's the, the rule number one. Uh, you invest those speculative investment, uh, the amount that you're not going to be trying if you actually lose those. And obviously, when you do win, it's where you say, well, I should have put more. And everybody's going to say those things. You know, it's like, oh, gosh, or whatever amount I put in Bitcoin, what was I thinking? Yeah, yes, it was a speculative, but uh, I, I should have put more, that kind of thing. Yeah, I should have speculated harder. It's always and, the... And every every investors, uh, Bitcoin early Bitcoin investors will tell you the same kind of thing. There's only a rare few that uh, really invested heavily right up front because they knew uh, they had all the cert certainty they, uh, that it was um, really going to take off. But uh, the majority of early investors, you know, they uh, they were moderate or to some degree. Wow. So, Phil Champagne, thank you for joining us on Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Everything that we referenced in our discussion is going to be linked in the show notes. 
to all the listeners out there. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, leave us a five-star rating and a comment on iTunes. Tell a friend, tell a coworker, get someone to join and learn more about building passive wealth outside of your work. Thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you on the next one. Want daily interviews with real estate investors and none of the fluff? Go to bestevershow.com where Joe Fairless interviews daily real estate investors and entrepreneurs about their best advice ever. Go to bestevershow.com.